Well, good morning. Uh, with the uh, new year, uh, we want to refocus on some foundational matters. The mission of Lion Lamb Church, I apologize to the visitors today, this is kind of an in-house message, but maybe it'll help you kind of understand who we are and what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, all of us tend to move along from week to week and assume we're on the same page, um, but new folks join us all the time, and, and it's important that we go back and review uh, just what we're trying to do here. Uh, and I'm just curious, uh, if you would raise your hand, if you have joined this fellowship and started to attend with us in the last four years, since the early part of 2008, pretty significant number. That's the last time that, that Mike taught on the, the mission of Lion and Lamb, so it's probably a good idea to do this. Uh, in addition, the leaders have asked me to preview some of the things that may involve changes in Lion and Lamb uh, in the future, perhaps not too distant future. We're going to start today with a very basic statement of the Lion and Lamb mission found on the website as well as the study sheet that you have there today. Now, let me read it for you. It says, Lion and Lamb Fellowship, or Lion and Lamb is a fellowship of worshiping believers committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ and obeying all his commandments. That's what I would call a comprehensive, kind of all-encompassing statement. It indicates no unique mission. In other words, Lion Lamb's not trying to reinvent the church or distinguish itself from the larger body of Christ. However, every church has a different application, including Lion and Lamb. Our church is unique in some ways. The statement concludes with the basic purpose of obedience of all the commands of Christ. If our statement were to state that our mission was to save the lost or to feed the poor or to teach solid Bible doctrine, those would all be valid purposes, but just part of the whole. Why or what, excuse me, does Scripture say are the commands of Christ as to the purposes of the church. What I'd like to do is examine a couple of passages, uh, which I think I've reprinted there on the, on the sheet. Um, let's take a look at those and see how many purposes we can identify. First in Matthew 22, where it says, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, one of them a lawyer, obviously a scoundrel, asked him a question, <laughs> testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. And then also in Matthew 28, a familiar passage where it says, starting in verse 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission before the ascension of Christ. So what purposes do you see there? I'm going to go through some that I see there uh, in no particular order, uh, but I think these are important that we recognize as a purpose of the church. First of all, I want to focus on love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Above all, the church exists to worship God. We love God with our heart through worship. Matthew 4 says, To worship the Lord your God and serve Him. Worship comes even before service. Sometimes we're so busy for God, we don't take the time to express our love through worship. But the psalmist says in chapter 34, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Corporate worship. We should neither give nor worship begrudgingly, but rather because we want to. The corporate body of believers should enjoy expressing its love to God. The lion and lamb is blessed with great worship leaders. Not only are they extremely talented musicians, but they serve tirelessly without fanfare. They have come early and stayed late because of their devoted passion to see all of us come before His presence each time we meet. And for this, we should all be grateful. In addition to our corporate worship time, Lion and Lamb does something that is pretty unique and some would say fairly dangerous. We allow and encourage anyone to participate in worship individually uh, in what we call open worship. Uh, This is, I believe, biblical. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for building up. Of course, when we offer any and everyone the microphone in open worship, we know that anything can happen. And that's why we focus on, and we try to get everyone to focus, on worship, the vertical part of our relationship. Now, unlike some foreign cultures and even some American faith communities, we tend to be conscious of time. We do not wish to cut off the Holy Spirit And we do not want open worship to stray, therefore, too far from lifting up praises and thanks because our worship and our praise of God is a primary call for the body of Christ. Let's move on to another purpose. In those passages I mentioned, there is go and make disciples. And this one I would call evangelism. 
to start off with. We are ambassadors for Christ, and our mission is to evangelize the world. The word go there does not just mean to go to a foreign land, but rather should be rendered as you are going in the way. We are all responsible to share the good news of Christ, of his coming, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his promise to return whenever and wherever we are. Someday, each of us, you and me, will give an account for how seriously we took this responsibility. It's important, so important that Jesus gave us five great commissions, each of the Gospels in the book of Acts, to get that message across to us. Evangelism is also a privilege. If you were to stumble across a cure for cancer, I'm pretty sure that you would do everything you could to share it with others to save millions of lives. Well, you and I know the cure for an eternity in hell, not to mention countless miseries in this life. Do we take that precious knowledge and hide it under a bushel? Or do we share it? This is the greatest news of all. Evangelism should be the primary method of growth in the church. But it is probably the most neglected of the purposes of the church. As to how you evangelize, well, I don't believe that evangelism should be a canned gospel presentation. It's an essential part of the bigger discipleship process. Making disciples must include living out God's principles so as to bring God's message to bear upon the creation and lives of unbelievers. Unbelievers are looking for changed lives which are the greatest advertisement of the gospel. God has placed us around people with whom we can reach out. Neighbors and co-workers and friends and gas station attendants. I guess they're now known as cigarette salespersons. Uh, bank tellers. People all around us. And when evangelism becomes simply a distinct program divorced from a way of life, New believers often suffer spiritual starvation or a disconnect because the focus and concern of the evangelizer becomes pinpointed to an event, a prayer to receive Christ, and not a lifelong discipling process and relationship. In evangelism, really, we are more midwives than salesmen. We're, tr we're helping to birth a new life rather than simply persuading someone of its benefits. Lord willing, uh, I hope to cover this in more detail next month. Next purpose I want to look at is teaching them to obey. The church exists to edify, build up, and educate God's people. Making disciples indicates evangelism, but discipleship is the process of helping people become more like Christ in their thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. It starts at salvation, and it ends at death. Colossians 1 tells us, 
we continue to preach Christ to each person, using all wisdom to warn and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence as a mature person in Christ. The church is not just to reach people, but to teach people towards spiritual maturity through the preaching of the Word and example and counsel of mature believers. In order to disciple believers to maturity, uh, 1 Peter 5 tells us that elders are to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but for with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing, proving to be examples, examples to the flock. One way that's done, of course, is through teaching. We at Lion Lamb, frankly, are extremely blessed with what I believe to be one of the best teachers in Topeka in Mike Halpin. Lion Lamb distinctly puts its teaching up front. Uh, The intention of this practice is not only to teach us when we are fresh and perhaps most alert, but also to allow the teaching to inform our worship. In other words, we desire the truth of the word that's taught that particular day to be present in our minds during worship time. But there are other ways to disciple, like living it out. This is not just a command to pastors and, or elders. The Bible is a call of duty for all mature believers within the church. In Titus 2, Paul urges the teaching of sound doctrine. Older men are to teach first by example, to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Paul exhorts the older women to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to wine, rather teaching what is good, so that they may teach and encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Finally, Paul tells the young men, to be sensible and to show yourself to be an example of good deeds in all things with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us, young men. That's why at Lion and Lamb, we encourage all believers to participate in serving in some way We are all part of the body of Christ, and every single one of us, you and me, has a purpose within the body. Discipleship, as I've said, is a process, not an event. And the word uses family relationships to describe how a Christian is to disciple because the kind of intensive love, care, and training that parents give their children represents the same way we should treat a new Christian. A new believer is just beginning to discover his identity as a, what the Bible calls, a living stone. Understanding God's will and design for serving him is a process of trial and error, testing, praying, waiting, and stumbling. It's a daunting process. Encouragement and patience from other Christians 
is vital. A sermon and a class will be helpful, but does not have the impact of one-on-one, heart-level relationship. It's a multifaceted process. While the new believer is seeking his place in God's household, he discovers new truths or many awakenings or rhemas, which can, he can then share within the body and help others grow. We're all in process, and we all can and should rub off on one another. You've all seen those rock polishers, you know, the container, you put the rocks in and the, the substance, and it spins around a long time and comes out with nice smooth stones. Well, we're literally polishing each other as living stones within the body. It's a continual tumbling process of loving, learning, living, failing, repenting, confessing, forgiving, and overcoming that makes up the life of the church. The next purpose I want to look at is baptizing them. And why does Jesus mention baptism sandwiched between go, as in evangelism, and teach, as in discipleship? Well, each is a part of the command to make disciples. Baptism symbolizes one of the vital purposes of the church. Fellowship, identification with the body. It says to the world, this person is now part of us part of our body. It symbolizes not just salvation, but fellowship, unity, and integrity. As Christians, we are called not just to believe, but to belong. We are not meant to be lone rangers. The Bible tells us not to forsake assembling together. And in Ephesians 2, it says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This relationship involves serving and supporting one another. Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of God. Unbelievers should and will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. And love in this sense is not the goosebumpy emotion. It finds its definition, rather, in actions like commitment, sacrifice, and, of course, bearing one another's burdens. This type of love is demonstrated by, frankly, spending time together in the course of everyday life. In most of the life of the church, or if most of the life of the church, is locked up in the four walls of Sunday morning, the relationships will simply tend to be shallow, disjointed, and unreal. In the early church, when we look in Scripture, fellowship was pervasive, and it frankly dwarfs what we typically typically see today. If Scripture is any indication, those folks were one anothering all over the place. Hospitality was used as the primary method of church evangelism and discipleship. It's really difficult to develop deep, meaningful 
relationships outside of the milieu of everyday life and the home. Let's turn now to the last one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Ministry. And that is demonstrating God's love to others by meeting their needs, healing their hurts in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Needs are spiritual, emotional, relational, physical. Jesus said even a cold cup of water given in his name was ministry and would not go unrewarded. According to Paul, the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Ministry is much more than attendance on Sunday and other meetings. I really like the Topeka Rescue Mission motto, faith with its sleeves rolled up. Okay, those are the purposes, the primary purposes that I see in these passages, and you may see others, and you could refine or expound on those purposes and come up with other aspects, which we simply don't have time for today. Do we see any examples in the Scripture of how all these purposes can work together. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. And there Peter kind of goes on for a while in exhorting the believers there. And then starting in verse 41, it says, So then, those who had received Peter's words were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Pretty serious evangelism. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, discipleship, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Lots and lots of fellowship. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Ministry. Day by day, contending with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. More fellowship. Praising God and and having favor with all people. They were worshiping. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. More evangelism. Now, this was certainly an extraordinary time in church history, But it is also an example of how the church can and should function under the power of the Holy Spirit. They taught, discipled, they fellowshiped, worshiped, ministered, and they certainly evangelized. While each church, including Lion the Lamb, will differ in how these purposes are carried out, there should be no disagreement about what we are called to do. Now, we will come back to the mission statement in a little bit. I now need to move on to some other topics related to lion and lamb in this new year. The mission statement tells us that the purpose of of lion and lamb, but we need to also address some of the nuts and bolts, or maybe better, some of the joints and muscle of lion and lamb. First thing I need to talk to you about is the Halpins. A brief history of lion and lamb for maybe some of the newer folks 
Uh, Mike Halpin uh, had been an elder at Topeka Bible Church, and then he went out, out to help start Fellowship Bible Church before becoming one of the first elders at Lion and Lamb over, I think, about 15 years ago. In fact, when the Vincents uh, joined Lion and Lamb a little over five years ago, Mike was the only elder uh, here being assisted by several able deacons who were even helping with the teaching at that time. At present, Lion and Lamb leadership consists of four elders and five deacons and were assisted by several other folks because the body has grown quite a bit in the last few years. If you look at the lion and lamb statement of beliefs, there is this comment about leadership. It says that in the local church, Christ has appointed that elders and deacons are to exercise his leadership and oversight. Now, as for Mike at this point, uh, the leaders at Lion Lamb suspect that by appearances, many of you would consider Mike to be the pastor of Lion and Lamb. And this is correct in a sense. I think we would all agree that Mike has the qualifications of an elder. But in addition, he possesses the gift of a pastor-teacher. By appearances, this function would be very similar uh, to pastors in other churches, except for one thing. Mike himself and the other leaders do not refer to Mike as the pastor of Lion and Lamb. Rather, Mike and the leaders consider him as an elder equal in authority. When we look at Scripture, we see church structure based upon elders, sometimes called bishops or overseers, and deacons. And the only difference in the qualifications of the two being that elders are more apt to teach. And this leadership structure appears repeatedly throughout Acts, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 1 Peter. Paul does mention pastors, but in a particular context. Please turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 4. And there we see that Paul says, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also that had descended into the lowest parts of the earth. He who descended, Jesus Christ, is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Note the two words as one gift. For the purpose of equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, we would all say, I believe, and agree that Mike has the gift of a pastor-teacher. But he has the appointed position in this church as an elder. To be honest, this is not a really big deal. I have several friends who I call pastors. 
Pastor is not a bad word. And no one's going to be offended if Mike is confused as or is intentionally referred to as a pastor. However, it is his preference to be viewed as an elder who is called and gifted as a pastor teacher, yet equal with other men who are in authority, who are gifted in other ways. Mike is one of several men who are in a position of leadership because Lion and Lamb is based upon a structure of multiple leadership rather than the more traditional forms of, say, congregational rule or a board with a chairman or one-man rule or certainly one-man show, which you sometimes see in smaller churches, a position to which Mike clearly and understandably does not aspire. He acts like a leader, but he does not desire to be in control. He doesn't even chair our meetings. And this is consistent with the approach of Lion and Lamb. We encourage all believers to play a role within the body and all men to lead according to their gifts. The qualities of elders and deacons are good goals for all men, whether or not one is recognized for that position. Now, on the other hand, having made all those nice egalitarian comments about Mike, it is not uncommon in a group, to have an individual who is, in fact, so gifted that he naturally takes a primary role in some of the functions of the church. Mike and the other leaders would say that the chief cornerstone or head of Lion and Lamb is Jesus Christ. But one way to refer to a human leader such as Mike is the first among equals. Let me explain. The facts are these. Mike and Kathy were instrumental and used by God in launching Lion and Lamb, and they continue to be some of the main contributors. Thankfully, they would say, with the help of many others. They know the personalities and the people and the character of the, of the members of this body probably better than anybody else. Mike has experienced in leading several different church bodies over the years. Mike and Kathy are extremely gifted in personal skills and biblical counseling, And the Halpins have led countless people and couples through various trials and struggles. And although he does not wish to be the only one, Mike is, thank God, the primary teacher here in our large meeting. In short, he is clearly the first among equals. And he has given countless hours per week to Lion and Lamb in ministry for many years. Mike has accomplished this and provided for his family through tent making, in other words, running his own business, uh, heritage inspections, supplemented by designated support from members of this church, juggling those two major responsibilities. However, lately Mike has come to the conclusion that he simply cannot continue. With the body of lion and lamb growing as it has the last few years, the responsibilities of leadership and all the things that go into meeting the needs of the body have grown exponentially. Therefore, as of January 1st, 2012, Heritage Inspections has been officially turned over to the capable hands of Mark Ettinger, who, by the way, covets your prayers and referrals in carrying on that business in this difficult economy. That brings us to the next issue. As mentioned, Mike's business income has been supplemented by gifts from this body up to this point, 
In other words, Bob Hannibal, the lion and lamb treasurer, has kept track of those who have indicated they wish a part of their gift or their, their uh, giving to the church be for Mike and Kathy's ministry. At any point, it would be perfectly appropriate for Lion and Lamb to support Mike and Kathy with a stated salary. However, it continues to be Mike's desire to rely on what God supplies through the gifts of the members of Lion and Lamb. Frankly, this is a leap of faith in itself because the offering from this body varies greatly from week to week and month to month. Now, at this point, with no other income from his business, Mike and Kathy will rely solely on lion and lamb for their sustenance, unless God happens to bring some home business to them that will not interfere with Mike's true calling to minister full-time to lion and lamb. The leaders believe that it's important for all of you to be aware of this recent change and consider how God might want you to, to assist with the support of the ministry that Mike and Kathy provide. You can do this simply by indicating an amount or percentage on one of the donation envelopes uh, next to the giving box in the rear of the church. You can also just put how much of your gift you want to go to them on your check itself. And speaking of those designations, we sometimes call them, the leaders ask that whenever you suggest a purpose for a gift, that you do so in a way that is clear so that proper decisions can be made by the leaders about the use of that money. Before moving on, I want to say something that is inadequate and at the same time unwanted, kind of my standard fare. (laughs) Unwanted, I mean at least not sought. Mike, Mike, Kathy, wherever you are, words cannot express how grateful the members of this church are for your time, sacrifice, and devotion to this body and to Christ. Thank you. Moving on to more mundane matters. Facilities. Praise God, we still have a place to meet. (laughs) We recognized uh, years ago that the theater over there where we were meeting simply could not accommodate a growing body. And really at that time, the gym was our only option and continues to be so. Uh, Why, you would ask. Why do we struggle with this? Simply because we do not wish to incur debt. And so buying property and constructing a building has simply not been an option for a congregation made up primarily of young families and singles. We're working on that, but it just hasn't happened yet. Uh, To their credit, 
Care Prevail Latin School has made it clear that they not only desire to continue a relationship with us, but they wish to provide facilities that are better suited for our purposes in the future. The rub is time. Uh, the school is probably at least a couple of years away from having those adequate facilities. But in about four months, I would say it's going to get really warm in this room. Therefore, we want you to know that we're still looking and we're open to options and we want to give you a heads up that we're going to have to make some adjustments for the warm weather again. Please pray for this practical need and for wise decision-making. God knows where he wants us to be. Another thing that is important to our church, and particularly within the last year or so, and this is important for new families, about a year ago, God called the attention of Lion Lamb to one of the most significant needs of our church, and we suspect society in general. For men to step up to their God-given role and responsibility. Many of the problems we encounter in families, in church, and society stem from the failure of men to lead with humility, as called by God. Last spring, many of the Lion and Lamb men took a spiritual leadership assessment of how we stack up individually with the standard for men in God's Word. I guess you could say the men got an A for honesty. But our report card as a church was not something we wanted to show our parents. Therefore, we have intentionally exhorted men here to be real men as defined by God in our personal disciplines, in our family leadership, and within the church. And frankly, we've been very, very encouraged by the response of the men here in this body. Several men's groups have convened, and we get together several times, uh, all of the men in the church, uh, throughout the year. Um, This is a process that will take time to jettison bad habits and to learn and assume godly responsibilities We do try to exhort men, and I think some of them would probably refer to it as kicking spiritual rear. But that's kind of who we are. Um, When we started this process uh, almost a year ago, we said that we will take another assessment in the fall of 2012. We want to know if we're making any progress at all. And so again... Please be praying for the men of this body, for your husbands, your sons, your dads, your brothers, that they will have the courage to man up where necessary and be the men God has called us to be. Of course, there's more than just men here. But we felt that that's where we needed to start. The next step for Lion and Lamb involves... Fulfilling our mission completely. In the the Lion and Lamb mission statement, it says, Lion and Lamb is committed to authentically pursuing a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. The word authentic means being real, genuine, true to reality, 
not two-faced. And for Lion and Lamb members, we should all be seeking to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit through teaching, discipleship, and modeling in fellowship so that the Christian life is lived out in spirit and in truth, not just on Sunday, but everywhere and at all times, in public and in private, when the lights are out, when no one's looking, 24-7, throughout all spheres of life. And the approach of Lion and Lamb to body life, that all believers can come to God, and that men should be servant leaders of their families, has made us rethink some of the common notions of doing church. We desire to find the best way to integrate all spheres of life to make our church, our home, and our public interaction as consistent as possible. In short, it's not that we want to change everything. However, the leaders are open to trying new methods and models for attaining an integrated lifestyle. While a few other churches in the United States have tried this, we don't know of any cookie-cutter approach. I guess I would say this. Please, be patient. God is not finished with lion and lamb yet. One idea that we would like to try is with our Sunday school time. And the concept goes something like this. We want to minimize segregation and integrate the body as much as possible. There are certainly times when distinct groups are appropriate to instruct and address specific needs. But that tends to be the rule in most churches. We are not so set in our ways or locked into any one model to preclude trying new approaches. Therefore, the leaders have planned a trial integrated Sunday school for all families and singles for the last month before we break Sunday school for the summer. The concept here is that all, including single adults, can learn by example, as we talked about before. In addition, responsibility for training up children rests on parents. Our Sunday school mosaic leaders all have the same vision. We're trying to supplement and support what the parents should be doing, not replace it. We are just trying to discover ways to draw households together and to enhance family integrity because strong families will build a strong church. And it takes a strong church, as well as individuals, to be a light to the world. There will be more details forthcoming, but we thought we should at least give you a heads up on that. If you have questions or concerns about anything I've shared today, which is always a possibility, please do not hesitate to talk to any of the leaders that are here today, and I urge you not to put it off. We appreciate the feedback that we get and the input. Most importantly, we seek your prayers for leadership in making wise decisions about how to best serve God in our goals of ministry, evangelism, discipleship, worship, and fellowship as that part of the body of Christ that calls itself Lion and Lamb. Father, we give praise to you. And we know, Lord, that uh, you have a purpose for each one of us. And in the same way, you have a purpose for the church, and you have a purpose 
distinct purpose for lion and lamb. We pray, Lord, that you would cause each of us to think how we can best carry out that mission as laid out in your word. We pray, Father, that you would continually remind us through your Holy Spirit that we are your ambassadors, we're your children, and that you want only your best for us. Help us, Lord, to seek that in every area of our lives. Lord, beyond this meeting, as we interact as families, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with everyone, Lord, help your light to shine through each one of us. We ask all these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.